Okay, so this podcast is not known for its highbrow conversations. It's all about the chain. No, lowbrow. I mean, it's just, Peter Riddell's bow tie, <laughs> I suppose, aside, we, we are not known for that. But today we are going to <clears throat> high culture. We should have gone for a nice dinner before we had this conversation, probably. Well, before we would have uh, been nice lunch. It would, or lunch, yeah. I'm sorry. I, we scheduled this over lunch. I, I'm, we I'm did. hungry. Yep. We um, all are. <laughs> my, my, my stomach was growling during the conversation. But anyway, today we do get to talk to kind of a, a, a cool Lansing celebrity. He is the conductor and music director for the Lansing Symphony Orchestra. His name is Timothy Muffet. He's been in town for about 20, 20 years. Um, and he was gracious enough to come stop by and talk with us about what it's like to direct an orchestra. You are listening to the Cold Oatmeal Podcast. It's true, though. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> Yikes. It was a it was just a a thing that I said <laughs> that I regret on a podcast that was recorded that everybody can that was hear. sent out to thousands of people. Oh. Really? Thousands? Oh, six. <laughs> Welcome to Cold Oatmeal, a podcast by the Rush Strategies team about PR and public affairs. Really? I was distracted staring at Joe's cold oatmeal. Yeah, well, it's here. He's got it on his. It's it's always here. It's always here. And by the way, the 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 ratio of like fruit to disgusting is like one to ten. It's got some disgusting stuff and some fruit. Yeah, there's nothing disgusting. One part fruit. What what in there is disgusting? I don't even know what's in it, but it it looks like cucumber mash and maybe a couple of chopped apples. Did you have Burger King for breakfast? What was your? Save (laughs) that. So welcome back to the Cold Oatmeal Podcast. It's been a while. Nathaniel and Eva Marie, the Ides, left us a few weeks back. We've we're taken. All, we're all much closer friends now in the hallway. We are, and now Laura knows who they who she's waving to, which <laughs> yep, which brother was which time. most of the time. We, we it's, it's hit or miss, but we have to quiz her when one walks by. Which one is that, Laura? Which one is that? <laughs> uh, but yeah, so it's been a been a hot second since we've been here in the studio, but we are back. Uh, this is Matt Resch of the Resch Strategies team. We're a public affairs and a public relations firm in downtown Lansing, Michigan. And we do this podcast whenever we feel like it. We find a nice <laughs> person to talk to. And we have found that person today. Um, you can find all of our podcasts at com on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and all those other places. Um, and you can find us on the socials at Resch Strategies. So with all that, let's go around the room. Who we got here? Uh, Nikki O'Mara. Nick DeLue. Carly Buell. Joe Beshi. And again, this is Matt. So Anna, I think we learned since she's not in the room and she chose not to be here because I think she thinks classical music is boring. Yeah. What like, the heck? She's like, I'm who, she classical music. She was very, she like, she, she also blew it. Cause that was good. That she was, did. That, that was, was a good, a good one. one. She was, before we got started, she said, I'm going to count how many times I hear laughter coming from that room. And I bet it's going to be less than three. <laughs> <laughs> well, jokes whatever, on her. Whatever. Yeah. Anna Heaton. It was <laughs> <laughs> yes. What was Stephanie's excuse? I'm going to sit here. She didn't work. have an excuse. She was just she, like, yeah, no. Matt gave her the choice. I said, she's like, do you want me to? I'm like, do you want to? Like, no. Okay. No. More time for us. More time Shut for us. Me. Anyway, it was like, I could tell, like, as soon as, like, 15 minutes before the podcast started, I got this decline to the uh, schedule, the scheduling invite yeah. from Anna. She's like, once I, she confirmed, like, you don't need me to come. I'm like, no. Since she, like, walked in her office, like, decline. <laughs> not going to be there. Cathartic, but I'm sure. She is going to miss out. So who is our guest? Timothy Muffet 
Uh, he is the music director of the Lansing Symphony Orchestra. He's been in Lansing for 20, well, since 2006. Before that, he was in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, for 21 years directing the symphony there. He's got a ton of summer gigs that he does. Uh, he was, he's worked at Chautauqua in New York, which is pretty cool. I got to go there on a summer vacation once. Um, and has been on the stage with uh, any number of the who's who of classical and, and pop music, uh, uh, actually. Uh, over the all sorts of awards. Yeah. 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 So he's, yeah, he's, we are, yeah, he, we don't deserve guests of, the, of this stature, but he was willing to take the time today and talk with us. So Timothy Muffet. Well, Timothy Muffet, music director for the Lansing Symphony Orchestra, thank you so much for bringing the, the, the high brow of, of classical music down to the very, very low brow of the, the cold oatmeal podcast. It's, it's great to have you here. Oh, we're, you know, we're trying to do, do a little brow, um, uh, um, uh, what's the word, maintenance or something. There we go. Yeah. You know, we, we, in all seriousness, this is a great way to start. You know, we like to think of, yes, what we do is a is a extraordinary art form but that it's really for all people yeah yeah well let me let me get into this a little bit i've got some questions i know that the the folks around the room do too but what how do you how do you how do you describe the lansing classical music scene is it a good one bad one i mean how would you describe it to someone who doesn't know lansing has been to lansing i'm glad you let off with that Mm -hmm. we are the whole state of michigan is i think off the charts in terms of the classical music world Anywhere you're standing, you're not more than an hour away of a really good professional orchestra. Mm-hmm. I mean, all of our sister cities have terrific orchestras. And um, uh, so just starting right there is, is, is one thing. And I think this just goes back to the roots of the state. And, and actually, several Midwestern states have a similar profile where whoever moved here and settled here, the arts were super important to them. Mm-hmm. And so our cultural infrastructure is arts heavy and, and it's a good thing. So look at here in this state, for example, we have Interlochen, which is one of the m- most famous, world famous music, summer music camps for high school kids, yeah. right? Huge. Mm-hmm. Look at our major universities, the University of Michigan, Michigan State University, both have top flight, world-class music schools. Look at our secondary and tertiary universities and getting into colleges, and they have great music schools. And, um, and then look into the public schools, whereas public school programs have become non-existent in many places, and sadly here in the Lansing area, mm-hmm. but we still have some holdouts that have really strong music programs and uh and that's really you know where i hope i hope things come back a little bit it's been over my time here that's been hard to see some of our public schools lose lose their music programs and but hopefully they'll come back um but really when we look at uh still statewide i think that that we're probably better than a lot of places in terms of what's happening in our public school music that's interesting. I'm not sure that I would have thought that that would have been the conventional wisdom. I don't, I'm not sure that people necessarily think think that. I mean, mm-hmm. people think Michigan and they think cars and college football and, mm-hmm. and, and pine trees and lakes, but I'm not sure. Well, that, all of those things are important. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but I think that the there is a there's a great cultural infrastructure here, especially musically. Mm. So when did you first think I'd like to direct orchestras? 
Because you started as a, as, a, as a piano player, right. right? Yeah, so that that happened for me in college. Yeah. And uh, it's kind of an interesting story, if you've got a minute. Oh, we've got plenty. <laughs> we've got, that's why we're here. we got minutes. <laughs> so, and, and this will, um, back in the day when when you had to register, when you're in college and you had to register for a class, uh, you had to stand in line to do that. I don't know if any of you were around for that. <laughs> Carly, did you have to stand in line that, for class? No, I missed that. <laughs> no, but the... Um, there was a person at a table who had a class roster and you would stand in line sometimes for two hours to get into a class and then you'd get up you'd get up there and if you're lucky you got in and it it was in one of these i don't remember what the class was but it must have been really popular because it was one of these classes that we were in line for a couple of hours and um and the guy in front of me played in a rock and roll band and they had just won this was in uh, Columbus, Ohio. There's a college down there. <laughs> and uh, Didn't you go to that college? I did go to that college. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. And so it was a huge place. And this guy had just won. His band had won a contest where they got to make a record. And by that, I mean an LP as in vinyl. Mm-hmm. So that was huge. I mean, today... The, we could make a CD right now, but, right. but yeah. pressing a vinyl record was a big, big deal. And he had uh, a song, and he said that he'd always wanted a string arrangement behind the song. Now, my, I'd never met this guy before. We just <laughs> happened to be in line. And he said, he said, could you write? We got to talking about what I did. I was a music major, blah, blah, blah. And he said, well, I've always wanted a string arrangement. Could you write a string arrangement? And I said, sure, I can do that. Mm-hmm. And I did it. And then I went to the recording session, and someone had to conduct that. And so I wrote it, and so I conducted it. And then after that session, somebody in the cello section said to me, I'm, I'm playing the Baccarini Cello Concerto in two months on a recital. Would you conduct the orchestra for that? And I said, sure. And so that kind of got my, my feet wet, and I realized that it was a very natural way of of communicating for me. I was really blessed growing up, again, back to Michigan public schools. I I went to school uh, here. I I grew up here. um, And I had extraordinary public school music teachers. And that's not important in terms of creating professional musicians. It's important for developing the whole child. Mm -hmm. But I also happened to be destined for a career in music. But I had really great models from the very beginning of my career. My sister was a great model, too. She's a professional musician, a professional educator, music educator, and she's older than I am, so uh, I had her as a model. She's a conductor also. Um, so, you know, I just had a lot of good people feeding me that energy. So do you, do, do you have a copy of the LP still? You know, I don't. I don't. <laughs> I don't. Your first recording. I know, I should have. It, yeah. was a, it was a... Is it is it findable? Is it out there somewhere? I can't even remember the name of the band. Okay. I thought you were going to finish. <laughs> it's gonna, it's gonna, on Spotify. I thought you were going to finish the story with like the, the reveal of some His massive. His name was Chuck Berry. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't need to work How another day in my life. Yeah. <laughs> so from that point, it, it was after that first experience, then did you go back and say, okay, I need to, I should take some conducting classes and, and, and move on from there? Or how did that, that work? I actually... Um, Conducting is one of these things where you really learn a lot of it just on your own. Mm-hmm. You learn from watching people work. You learn from listening to repertoire. You learn from study. Um, so I didn't really have 
any degree-based formal training until my doctoral degree. Okay. Um, but I, from that point, I did start to think maybe this is the way I need to go, and, and it just was a, it felt like a really good fit to okay. me. So I want you to help us um, settle a bit of a debate, because we had a conversation about this last <laughs> week when I told everyone that you were coming on. And there was, a little, there was a little confusion, I'll be honest, about what... And, and the conversation is like, how, how important is the conductor to actually what's coming off the stage? With the question, because I, I won't say... I won't, I won't pin opinions on anyone in the room. <laughs> no. I'll let them speak up if they want to. Mm-hmm. But some were like, well, they just all play in the music. I mean, what's, what's, what's going on there? Okay. Um, but um, I guess I think I'm right. My opinion <laughs> was that I've, I've seen conductors in front of an orchestra and the way they the way they move the way they act and and the difference that comes out of the sound based on that person so i'm curious settle that debate how important is the conductor to what's coming into the listeners listeners ear well all the parts are important and i think the best analogy is let's let's take a play all right you have a group of professional actors they all have a script they all know how to read the language they could put the play on but having a director helps bring a cohesive vision to the whole thing. And so even though there's a script with clearly defined words, the director helps with emphasis, helps with clarity, helps with focus, helps with pacing. And that's what the conductor does too. Music notation is is vague. We get an instruction like, this should be fast. Well, how fast is fast? This should be loud. How loud is loud? Mm-hmm. How soft is soft? What about... If you've got the, the clarinet and the oboe playing the same note at the same time, who should we hear more of? Or should it be the same? Um, and so... Always the clarinet. It's always the clarinet. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so I, I think the conductor is important in terms of... Uh, or someone. I mean, there are some orchestras, actually, that work without a conductor. Mm-hmm. But there are people in the orchestra that play the role of the conductor. Mm-hmm. There's no one standing up there beating time. Right. But there is someone... They have studied the score in advance, and there is someone who is leading the rehearsal process and making decisions. I remember when I was growing up, I, I'm from Fort Wayne, uh, Indiana, mm-hmm. as, as these guys know, but that you don't. We, uh, there was a, a, a guy who had directed the Fort Wayne Philharmonic for years and years and years, and he retired. And they did a search with, with some, with, for, to find a new person. And it was fascinating, and not that I went to any of these concerts, but my parents did, and I would hear this, this feedback as, as they would bring in guests to come in to tr- basically be to trying out to see who they want to fit. The, the different reactions the, the community would have to the exact same musicians who were sitting on the stage that had been sitting there for 10, 15 years before that, but how different it sounded. And then the guy who they ended up hiring was this incredibly eccentric Russian. And the whole city was like, oh, my goodness, have you heard that, that everything sounds completely different now? Mm-hmm. Just, of, just because of that guy and the way that he was doing things. Yeah. <laughs> well said. In, in a nutshell. In a nutshell. It, it does make a difference. And, and the other thing, too, is that, I mean, we have a lot to do and not a lot of time in which to do it. So we have four rehearsals to, that are two and a half hours along with a mandatory 15-minute break. So four rehearsals of two hours and 15 minutes to put together these programs of between 60 and 90 minutes of immensely challenging music. Mm-hmm. And and it is up to the person on the podium to figure out how to use that time efficiently and get the job done. 
So are you the one putting together <laughs> the program then yes. that's that's being played? Okay. Yeah. And you're picking the music mm-hmm. and okay. Because I think Joe and I were the people that were like, what's the conductor do? They're just like <laughs> waving their arms <laughs> around. But that's because we don't know anything. I mean nothing. It's because we're uncultured. It. It's because yes, <laughs> I had no other information to go off of. Well that's what we, we do try to keep that a secret. <laughs> also in the profession. We don't want too many people, but I think that the word's gotten out, perhaps. Yes. So is your most important skill your taste in your ear or is it your ability to like manage Mm. a huge group and put together like something that's complex and hard in a short amount of time because it sounds like those are your two big skills but maybe I'm not right no no you've hit the nail on the head okay and but I'll just zoom out a little bit the biggest part of my job what I do most of every day is study the music that I'm going to be conducting so I mean easily four hours a day is spent in preparing music. What does that just mean? Just sitting what by yourself so, looking sitting at it? Sitting by myself looking at it, yeah. Oh my gosh. And, and develop, or sometimes I work at the piano a little bit. Sometimes I'll listen to it. But, but I try not to listen to it too much. But I, I like to uh, assemble it in my head my own way. And if we do a good job with that, if we do a good job with the preparation of the music, I mean, by the end result for the conductor in, in preparing the music is, is knowing in his or her mind exactly how every moment of the music should sound. Like how much of a breath is going to be here? How, how much are we going to speed up? How much are we going to slow down? How is this note accented? Is it going to be a firm biting accent or is it going to be a warm expressive accent? All of those little things are what we do in our score study. So if the conductor has done a good job with that, then he or she will most likely do a good job with managing the time and managing. If we have a clear vision of where we want to go, then we're going to have a clear vision of how to get there. Okay. So your taste is the most important thing. Your ability to look at a piece of music and be like, this is how this, this should sound. Yes. I know, I know what mm. this should be. This okay. is, that's exactly right. Okay. Our ability to really know what we want from the piece of music is sure. most important. Do you argue ever with other conductors about a piece of music? Like, that's a great, these are great questions. <laughs> Who are you people? <laughs> we know nothing. <laughs> no, that is a terrific question. Of course, of course we do. And um, uh, there is, you know, the big thing, and without getting too far into the weeds, it's like, well, do you go with what the composer wrote or do you go with what tradition has been? And then there are those who say tradition is just the lad, last bad performance. I love that line. <laughs> but uh, so, yes, there because it is vague. I mean, if you were to a good example, is if you were to choose a piece of music and go on Spotify and listen to five different recordings, they would all sound different. Mm-hmm. And you'd go. Wow. Mm -hmm. And so that's the stuff we, I mean, do we argue about it? I don't know. I'm just using, it's it's funny with conductors, we're seldom in the same town at the same time. And so uh, we often don't have opportunities for such arguments, Mm -hmm. but. Have you ever had arguments from the from the musicians who have said, you know what, I played this from this other guy directing, and that was a lot better. Or this is you, this is way better than the when this other person was here. That comes up not usually in the form of an argument, but a conversation. <laughs> so your game, so you're you're taking these four hours a day. You're kind of mapping out, you know, for I guess the sports analogy, your game plan for how you're going to conduct this. Right. Music is an incredibly emotional thing to perform and to listen to. Do you ever get caught up in the moment 
and something like, you know what? I was thinking I was going to take it this way, but this is feeling really good. And Absolutely. Gonna... Yeah. How like how often does that happen? Well, um, 20% of the time. Yeah. I mean, because I think part of what makes a good conductor is, is, is not only coming in with a clear vision, but also recognizing the 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 energy and the talent and the inspiration that the individual players are putting in to the to the equation when you get into rehearsal and so i think if we're super well prepared we can respond and and make it more of a collective rather than just a just a one way conversation those musicians that sit in whatever orchestra that i'm conducting all play their instruments better than i do and there are unique qualities to those instruments that a player who's in the middle of playing them right now is going to have a better grasp on than I do. And so there are times when conductors need to let go and let the players carry it. And there are times when conductors need to step in and move the helm a little bit. Mm -hmm. So after you spend eight hours a day with all this classical music, what are you listening to in the car on the way home? Anything different? Just keep 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 the vibes going. You no, I love all I love all music. You know, there's a great Duke Ellington quote. There's only two kinds of music: great music and the other kind. <laughs> and uh, I think there's a lot of great music being made in many different styles. And um, so I, I'm a you know I'm a channel flipper <laughs> in the car. We I saw that a little bit in your uh, your biography. Um, and the the difference of the folks that you played with, some of them didn't didn't surprise me. Although they're very cool, like Yo Yo Ma, Itzhak Perlman, mm-hmm. and Kenny Loggins. And Kenny Loggins, yeah. <laughs> so so I think I understand how one comes to conduct an orchestra and how you know you select this batch of music. How do you get hooked up with Kenny Loggins or Trisha Yearwood? Right. And and how, how does that differ? Um, Kenny was amazing. Let me just start with that. I did three nights with Kenny, um, and. And his band was, I mean, this is the thing. They, like, they all bring great musicians with them. But sure. uh, um, I'll never forget the, the musical experience of working with Kenny Loggins. And, and he was, he's a great conductor, all right? I watched him rehearse his band. And he knew, he knew exactly what he wanted them to do. And he knew exactly how to get it from them. And he was rehearsing the same things that I would rehearse in a Beethoven symphony. He was rehearsing color. He was rehearsing style, articulation, energy, phrasing. And uh, it's a different it's a different thing because we're very much, as a conductor, we're very much in an accompanimental role. I mean, I just do whatever. I'm following them and trying to to realize their vision. So, um, so I become I become a conduit for the artist in that situation, and and pass hopefully their vision through me into the orchestra, their musical vision. Mm-hmm. Um, and but that's what I do with with Yo Yama as well, and any of the classical artists who are appearing as soloists. We're trying to connect the orchestra with the soloist. Um, so it's it's not dissimilar. It's just a different kind of different style of music. Can you tell me about the career of a conductor? Like, how do you get your start? Is there a ladder that you climb? How do you climb that? Is there like room for? I'm a conductor prodigy, and I'm immediately like in a huge major city. Does that have like? Yeah. How does just tell me about it? It's really competitive. Okay. Um, Lansing today, Berlin tomorrow. 
Well, <laughs> could be. <laughs> um, they listen. We're big. The Cold Oatmeal Podcast is huge in Berlin. So right. Good. They might, they might be listening. <laughs> good. The um, uh, every, there are a lot of different paths. Some people, for example, are pianists that work in as as what they call a repetiteur, which is someone who helps singers learn opera roles. And they come up through the opera world as an, and they become an assistant conductor because they've played piano for all the opera rehearsals. And then they know the piece really well. And then the conductor gets sick and they step in at the last minute and everyone in the crowd goes wild. And, and that's one way. Uh, <laughs> then there are people like myself who, you know, we study and then we get a degree in it and, and we try to... Um, it's a little bit of a catch-22 because... No one's going to hire you if you don't have experience, but you can't get experience if no one hires you. So I think today's conductor needs to have a little bit of an entrepreneurial spirit and be able to create his or her own opportunities to show what you can do. Uh, I was lucky that, especially uh, being at the Eastman School, I got a lot of opportunities to, to do things. I didn't have to make them myself, but, but some conductors who are trying to get started have to say, Let's get all my friends together and I'll bring the pizza and beer and let's play a Haydn symphony. And then uh, we're going to have the video going while we do it. So I've got a record that it happened <laughs> and they build their way up from that. How, who recognizes you? Like who who's making these decisions like this yeah. guy's ready to step up and be in New York? Like, how's that happen? Well, um, it's a lot like any other job. You, you often apply for it. Okay. But then you, I think a person develops a reputation and then you start to get asked to apply for jobs, and then you're in a good place. If, if people are calling you and saying, we have an opening here, would you ever be interested in this? And, um, but there's a, it's like any other job, there's a search process, that, and there's usually several people involved. I mean, if, if, if a place like Lansing, I think there were 200 people applied for the job when, when I wow. was wild. in the pool. So, um, yeah, it's, a lot of people want to do this is so i know maybe is tell me if this isn't still the case but i know that when when musicians are trying out for positions in orchestras are is it still behind the screen yes do you because so for the people judging all they're doing is listening they're not they're not looking at the person who's playing mm-hmm. does the same thing happen for i mean are do they put a big screen up in front of the whole orchestra and no one knows who it is or do they know who you are they, if you're trying yeah out? well they need to be able to see me for me to well, I mean, job. I'm like the people listening to hire you. Like, obviously, the musicians need to be able to see right. you, but the oh, people who are listening, who are going to do no. like, do they they know who you are? No, it's usually pretty highly publicized. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Are there any conductors out there that like blow you away? Current working people that are like, man, I wish I could do what he's doing. Yeah, there are some. There are some otherworldly talents out there. I think Daniel Barenboim would be one. Um, there is. Uh, there was a guy named, he's dead now, but a guy named, not, he hasn't been dead for long, Carlos Kleiber, who was another just like, whoa. And I mean, there's a, there's a lot of terrific people out there, but Baron Boehm's kind of a freak of nature. Where is he? Was Well, he's been in, um, he was with the Berlin Opera. Um, he was with the Chicago Symphony for mm-hmm. many years. That's the, probably in the U.S., the way he'd be best known. Um, and uh, he's been all over, but. But he just, he's a, he's a phenomenal talent. Just in, in, in what's, to me, what's phenomenal about him is, is the amount of music that he can 
digest and have ready to perform at any given moment. I mean, you would see there were times in, in the, a decade ago or so where you'd read in the New York Times that that Barenboim's in town and he's guest conducting the or the Chicago Symphony is playing in Carnegie Hall and then he's going to play two nights of piano of a piano recital and then he's going to conduct this other orchestra in completely different repertoire and and um yeah there's there's a few great ones but uh, there's, a, there's a few extraordinary ones and there's a lot of great a lot of great talent so when you're when you are on the stage um i mean obviously if you're in a rock band or you're a stand-up comic or even if you're in an orchestra you can look out and see the audience and kind of judge and gauge our, our people into it your back is to them and it, from beginning to end you have no idea what's going on behind you is that liberating or is that like or is that like oh man what's going on am i going to turn around and there am i going to finish and there's going to be nothing or how do you do you, how do you interplay with the audience with your back to them or don't you it's funny there's i do feel like i have an awareness of the energy of them and maybe that's from i see them when i walk out on stage and 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 get you know, test the waters there. I, I hear them when they applaud after a piece. But you can also, I mean, you, you put a couple thousand people in a room and, and you can, even if your back's to them, you get a feeling for the vibe. But definitely when, when the applause begins or doesn't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Fortunately, we haven't had the latter, but... <laughs> well, I've always thought that just the the... the the experience of directing that many people playing super, super well mm-hmm. would be like, you don't even need an audience. It's like, that just would be so exhilarating an experience. I would think that it was like, you oh, know, okay, whatever, whatever's going on back there. That's fine. It is exhilarating. Yeah. I mean, rehearsals are exhilarating, uh, no doubt, but you, when you are playing for people who, and the, and the energy goes both ways. Uh, you know, we feed off of the energy of the audience and, and they, it's the difference between listening to a CD and going up there and, and seeing the orchestra. And then when it's your hometown orchestra and you recognize people because maybe you've been coming for five years and you go, oh, there's, there's where that person is and there's where that person is. And I love the way she plays and, and uh, things like that. Then there's a really great connection that's being made. And that's why, that's why important cities need orchestras. Can I ask a pop culture question? Please. Tar totally should have won Best Picture, right? <laughs> it was really good. Yeah. So I, I, I've been curious about that since Matt told us you were coming because I, I've tried to get everybody else in the office to watch it many times and nobody wants to. But um, in, the, in the political and the PR world, people make movies about this kind of stuff, Lansing stuff all the time. I mean, you know, about media, about politics. And, and I know I always watch them and go, they got everything wrong. That none of that's real. You know, House of Cards. Give me a break. That's not the way it really works. How close was Tar? Um, the the strength of the story and the acting was so solid that it was easy to overlook any of the stuff that an insider might cringe at. Now I, I have seen movies that where, for example, if you have people holding an instrument who don't know how to play. I mean, sometimes that can be really hard. Sure. That can be really hard if you know what it's supposed to look like and it's not even close. Yeah. And there was a little bit of that in Tar, but but it, was, it wasn't it was a lot. Mostly they had real musicians in there. There were only a, 
uh, um, I maybe think only one person who was not an actual professional musician. Um, the language was pretty good. I, I'd give, I'd say it's 95. I'd give it a 95 out of a hundred in the use of, in the use of our jargon. Um, I would say that the concepts that were discussed were quite good. I'd put that in the, in the nineties in the, also, uh, in terms of the kind of jargon one might hear in a in a conversation of real musicians, um, you know, there was some stuff, of course, there was yeah. some stuff, but but it didn't distract because it was just such a good story. Yeah, heck of a movie. It's interesting. I'll watch it. I'll, I, 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 I'll, I want to. I'll, I'll watch I it now. It Fine. Yeah. <laughs> we had to bring in. I can't believe you don't want to watch it after well, everything that you've said. I didn't even said. know what it was. Nick was talking about, like tar. What's I don't know what this is. <laughs> I, I'll go Nick see it. Nick and I don't really see eye to eye on movies. So great. as soon as he said oh, you should see that, I'm like, ah, man. <laughs> Probably not. But maybe I'll oh, maybe no. I'll search that one out. Uh, Do you have any funny like superstar guest like musician stories? Like someone like. Like, does Yo-Yo Ma just eat green jelly beans or like, <laughs> what is any weird stuff? Or do you not have to deal with any of the, the, uh, personalities? Jelly beans, yeah. Jelly beans aren't so much on my, <laughs> That's my not on thing. The- um, you know, I'll, I, I would just say in general, nearly every one of those great artists that I've worked with have just been delightful people. You know, there are a couple who who maybe were less than delightful, but, but <laughs> those are the ones we want the stories about. Right. Yeah. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't mention that. Uh, it, I would just say in general, the it, it's often, they seem to be the person that you think they are based on, on hmm. what you see. Yeah. You know, you see yo-yo, you hear yo-yo talk, you read about him, you go, my gosh, what a, what an extraordinarily generous, magnanimous person this is. And that is who he is. Uh, and yeah, I feel fortunate to have, have been able to work with so many of those wonderful people. How do the musicians, I mean, not, not that Lansing's a super small market, but it's not, it's not New York or Detroit or Chicago. Like what is, when the first violin, when Josh Bell shows up and the violin, does the violin section just like, like, how are we supposed to play in front of Josh Bell? Yes. I mean, <laughs> no, they, they're all seasoned at this. Yeah. They've all worked with great artists, too. And um, uh, there's there's admiration. There's yeah. excitement. There is um, it's inspiring. And um, there's no all of those things are there. But but they all know they're they're ready to play for him. They yeah. want to play for him. They want to show him how great we are. It's kind of like the way we get psyched for every podcast guest. That's right. <laughs> it's just like that. <laughs> so I got a couple more, unless anyone else wants to jump in with something here. So not to say this is going to happen anytime soon, but if Timothy Muffet's career, if you, if you've already, if you just recently directed your last concert, what is, you have a highlight moment that you think Matt, this, this is the, the piece I'll remember the concert. I'll remember as, as a conductor. Yeah. Was it the 80s concert that you guys did? (laughs) (laughs) You know, I'll, I'm probably going to regret this. Uh, There, there, there have been so many. I mean, I wouldn't even know where to begin, but Mm -hmm. I'll tell you, let me just say one and, and not have it be the, the one, but just one as an example of great moments. There was um, the season after all of the lockdowns and the, and the pandemic, and we we did an ABBA concert, and 
Of course, the last thing was what? What was the last piece we did? Anyone? Anyone? Dancing, Dancing Queen, Queen, perhaps? And, <laughs> I was like, they're all going through my head. I was like, and the... Um, <laughs> it was cathartic for the audience. I mean, it was so they have been l- locked up and locked away for a couple of years and have been dying to have this much fun. And, and you know, the, I didn't have to, I don't have to conduct Dancing Queen, right? I can just, I just, I just looked out, I just turned around and looked out at the audience and, and people had their the lights, their flashlights on their phones. Were waving. <laughs> people were dancing in the aisles. There was just this enormous, like I said, cathartic relief, massive exhale. Hopefully, not an infectious one. <laughs> massive, just release. It was a release. It yeah. was something that people had been waiting to have that much fun again. They hadn't had that much fun for a couple of years, and now they were having it. And and that was a remarkable experience. I have one that is... Go right ahead. Do you ever get stumped by a piece, or are there like composers, you're like, I just don't want to do anything they do. Um, is, is there anything like that? Yes. Okay. And um, often I don't program those pieces. Okay. Or, or I'll have someone else conduct those pieces. Um, but it's all challenging. Like... You never get a piece where you go, oh, I know how that's going to go. I mean, and this could be a piece of cake. It's, it's never that. They all stump me to some degree, but my job is to get over the stump. Mm-hmm. Is there a piece that you have not figured out? Yeah, but I, I don't know what it is yet. Okay. I'd, I'd have to... Um, I could say every single thing I've ever done. <laughs> well, do you have a white whale? Yeah, that's I mean, kind of what I was getting at. There's not one that's like, oh... Like, yeah, I hope someday to conduct this one. Yes, but often the the barrier there is 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 economic, mm. you know, or it would be something like there's a piece by a, a French composer named Olivier Messiaen called the Tarangalila Symphony, which I would love to do, but it it's an enormous orchestra with uh, with a piano soloist and and a solo for the an instrument called the Onde Martineau, which is an electronic instrument that you've heard in science fiction movies. <laughs> and um, it's a masterpiece of the 20th century. Um, but I'll ne- I'm sure I'll never conduct it because it, there just would it would be economically irresponsible yeah. to <laughs> fiscally I should say fiscally right, irresponsible right. to put it on the the audience would look at me and go what <laughs> and, but I would have had a great time and the orchestra would too and and there would be a, there would be a handful of of the audience that would go I'm really glad I got to hear that if any of your listeners get a chance to hear the Tarangalila Symphony okay. of Olivier Messiaen, I highly recommend it. It's a well, remarkable experience. Maybe we've just found our, our little intro, interlude music. You can go, find, go, go, go Google on, that. Go You'll find that on the Googles. So what is, we like to uh, um, cheerlead for Lansing a bit on the podcast here. What, uh, what's going on in Lansing with the LSO uh, this summer for folks? Sure. Well, we've got a couple of concerts. Um, we're going to do a concert in the park uh, in August. That's a free concert, and I'm not sure which park it's in yet. Uh, but we, so I'm sure someone knows that. I just don't know. That. And then um, we have a couple of small chamber music programs that we do out at the lawn at the MSU FCU headquarters. Um, summer is a we don't do a lot in the summers mm-hmm. because many of our musicians are off uh, 
doing summer festivals in other parts of the country and world. But um, we do have a few things going on. I, I'll ask this on behalf of two of the people in the room, and you can guess who that might be. Is any Taylor Swift tribute <laughs> concerts coming in the, in the coming seasons? I think you might have a, a couple we don't have, ticket purchasers. We don't have that uh, in the in the pipeline yet, but you know, never say never. Um, I would also accept an Adele one. I would go to that in a second. So there you go. Just think about it. Okay. Well, there you go. Let's, we'll, we'll end on that, Nikki. You win. Adele. Thank we'll you. close with Adele. So, Timothy Muffet, the music director for the Lansing Symphony Orchestra, thanks so much for being with us on the Cold Oatmeal Podcast. This was super fun. I, I've really, I, I, I've had a great time, and, cool. and it, this was one of the best interviews I think I've ever had. Wow. wow. Hey, look wow, at that. That's, that's going somewhere. I'm not sure where. We're going to put that. Sounds put that like <laughs> Yeah, sweet. Great. Well, thanks for being with us. Thank you. Thank you. We'll be right back. I, I had, that was a fun classical music moment. I, I had a, a bummer the other day. Asher had to pick his. He's he's going to be in band this year because he's going to junior high, and he had to, he got to pick his instrument. Did they go in and, did they test them beforehand? Because they did that for us. No, because he's just going into you know sixth grade. You didn't do so, that. Like what? Like are you capable of playing the flute? Like well, what I mean, do you mean? They, there they, was like some sort of you didn't do this. No, you could just choose whatever instrument you want. Well, I mean, I could still choose, but like there was. I'll sorry to interrupt your story, but there, like, when we were in fifth grade, before like actual band, we're still doing recorders. We had some sort of like music aptitude test we all took, and then like depending on where your score range is, they'll recommend you play like the trumpet like a dumb kid or the oboe. <laughs> I don't like think a so. I mean, I just that definitely saying? happened. I just I mean, I, was I, wanted. I did too. Yeah. Thanks. But the, like the, the French horn, corner. the bassoon, like there was like he only there's... remembers because Catherine failed, right? No, Catherine did really good. Bobby failed. I was oh, I was okay. like the middle. One. I thought it was the opposite. Anyway, keep talking. Sorry, Nick. Why well, I, I so I was a clarinet player, and so I was pushing Asher to woodwinds, and he thought I don't want to play the clarinet, but maybe the saxophone. And so he tried the saxophone. <sighs> And he tried, and he tried the trumpet, sick. and he decided he liked the trumpet better. Really? Uh, than saxophone? Yeah. So he. Picked I feel like saxophone was like I, cool kids had that. Woodwinds so are cooler. gross. Yeah. It's probably easier when you're just starting to get a noise out of a trumpet than a saxophone. Yeah. I oh, wow. did. It, yeah, he found the the amateur easier. Yeah. He can um, work he up was to it. Just blowing through the thing as opposed to dealing with the squeaks. I don't want a pile of I did. wet reeds that I gotta. I did clarinet. I did clarinet too, and. The, we had to do band like I didn't want to do band yeah. and the trombones were right behind us and they would shoot their spit at us <laughs> yeah. oh my god that was the best part I'm that. shocked you didn't do that it was a martial music thing like they came and then like they came to your house and they let you try stuff we didn't oh my I gosh yeah. no at yeah. home East Lansing instrument or high school I did not play band in high school <laughs> why, why do you <laughs> say it like that sorry because I'm not a loser oh <laughs> No, a guy, a guy like a guy in a van came to our house three times with like a. I think what she meant was she would have been so bad at it. There's yeah, no way. Yeah, I was right. not talented yes. enough to play uh-huh, in high school. Uh-huh, sure. Um, I'm talking about elementary school, and then I played the flute for a year or two, maybe, and then I switched to choir. Okay. Are you certain your parents didn't pay for this to happen to you? I mean, they probably like yeah, this, because that seems this like something they would yeah, do. The, maybe they were thing. hoping that you would just fail. Like, oh, can't be in band. <laughs> don't have to listen to that. Joe no, my parents are. 
like you're doing band. The home um, visit sounds like something your parents would pay for. They probably did, but like I, that's true. Maybe not everyone yeah, did this, but I maybe like, ask that's them. very extra. But well, I did take that test at school, like that I'm, musical aptitude test. That sounds was a more test real. But the fact took. that they came to your house and let you try out a bunch of stuff—that seems like an extra. I'll add ask on. about what it. What are you? What That's even? One. Like, what would you take? How do they tell your musical aptitude? Are you like listening to stuff and you're like, "That's an oboe." <laughs> I think they probably like like <laughs> higher pitch. Lower I can tell pitch, you some. some yeah, of the, higher some pitch. Some of the children pitch. in my home can keep time, and some of the children in my right. home can't. Oh, keep okay, time. yeah. Like oh. mimic oh. a beat, like hear a beat, then like and mimic. Oh, okay. do it back. I don't know. I don't it was, think that they did that. Like I remember, I wanted to do percussion, and my score was like just a little too dumb. And then they like <laughs> they br- they're, they're like you're gonna struggle with this, and I'm like mm, I want to do I it. Know. I would think trumpet would be much more challenging than that. You'd think so, drum. but then they brought it in, and I couldn't I couldn't fucking do it. I sucked. Wow. I was like I got real frustrated as soon as I got to like do three things at once. Can't, can't you got it. frustrated. Yeah, that's weird. <laughs> what? Did you smash the bell of your trumpet? Uh, no. Trumpet's three buttons. Three buttons and blow. It's, that's it's the easiest one. No, the bell of my trumpet was like flared out. Because, I never did, because yeah. when I would play it, I would whenever I would get mad, I, I would get super frustrated too, and I would hit it. I would hit it on the music stand, and and then I would realize, oh, that's that's bendy. That's, <laughs> that's bendy. Yikes. I shouldn't do that. <sighs> anyway, well, I think this podcast goes down in history as by far the the best testimonial we've ever had from a guest. Yeah, yeah that what did was he crazy. Say? This was the best like. interview. Did he say this the was best the best interview he's ever had? Oh, wow. We should yeah. probably like get that printed on Pl- something. We, we mm-hmm. should play that part in fortissimo. <laughs> I'll, I'll I don't know what that means. What the loud. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, before Nick took the story in a different direction, I did want to finish before we before we check off here. So this is all about music, um, and so I think it's only appropriate since we have one of our one of our team members who just um, mm. came from Taylor Swift's the experience. The music experience of the century. Yeah, I noticed that Tim didn't mention Taylor Swift as the the, the moment he was going to remember back. No. I, but I thought it would be appropriate since Taylor's coming to Detroit. Yes. Can we get this up before? Sure. In front of, since Taylor's coming to Detroit, you should give some advice <laughs> to Nikki and to all those people in Michigan who are going to go see her this weekend, what what do people need to know, Carly, before they go see Taylor Swift? Um, I think patience, because there's so many people, and <laughs> they're all just as excited as you, so um, dealing with the crowds is slightly annoying. And um, deep breaths. Uh, <laughs> when, the, when the countdown comes on, right before she's going to come out, like, remain calm. That was a bit of a freak out moment for me that I needed to remind myself that I was an adult and I needed to calm down and it wasn't that exciting. Um, I thought of you because I saw a video on, I think it was on Twitter and I'm not sure it was a, it was a a meme of some, at some point, but it was a girl who was at a concert and I didn't know at the time what concert it was, but she was going just hysterically crazy. Yeah. Like how I pictured you in Uh Chicago Yeah, and some roadie for the singer it's like his job was to go find the most hysterical person in the audience and pick them up over the over the wall and bring them up sta- up on stage oh to be God. with the person. I would die. <laughs> and so I see this girl and she's sobbing and crying. She's going nuts. This guy picks her up and like she's not scared at all. She's like, this is the best thing. And he just picks her up and runs her up on the stage. And she goes up and it was Michael Jackson. And she just runs up to Michael Jackson and she's like, she's petting him. It was, yeah. it was the weirdest. It was oh the weirdest thing. Really I'm like, this How is, old was this video? Well, it 
it was Michael Jackson. He was it was looked like it was looked like eighties, late eighties, early nineties. Michael Jackson. I mean, how do you know? How did you come across this video? I don't know. Twitter. <laughs> well, that doesn't happen at Taylor Swift, unfortunately. Right, or probably not the yeah, Lansing Symphony Orchestra. Nobody's allowed to pet her on stage. No. Oh. Hmm, that's okay. Well, this was fun. It's like good to be back in the studio. We haven't been here in a while since the Ides were with us. And we probably won't be all summer, huh? Uh, we gotta get another, we gotta we gotta pack another one in here before we get out of it for the summer. So, but for Nick, uh, Nikki, Joe, Carly, this has been Matt. Thank you so much to Timothy Muffet, uh, LSO Music Director. He was a great guest. Great to have him on. You've been listening to the Cold Oatmeal Podcast, and we will talk to you next time. <laughs>